Welcome to the podcast of the United Church of Bogota. We are a Bible-based church ministering to the English-speaking community in Bogota, Colombia. We invite you to join our diverse fellowship as we encounter God in worship and experience the impact of His grace on every part of our lives and in our world. To learn more, please visit our website at ucbogota.org. you please stand as we hear God's Word. We're continuing this morning our series in the book of Exodus, and actually this will be the last Sunday that we are in the life of Moses uh, until next fall. So, uh, and we have Advent coming up in a couple of weeks. So this is uh, God's Word from, uh, sorry, Exodus chapter 15. We'll begin reading in verse 1. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his horse he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind, the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard that they tremble. The pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They are still as a stone. Till your people, O Lord, pass by till the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain, the place, O Lord, where you have made for, which you have made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would enlighten our minds and hearts today so that we would understand it not only understand it, but that it would work its way out into our lives, into our speech, and into our actions. We know that we depend upon you to do this by your grace and power, and so we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. If you were to walk into a mosque at the time of prayer, you would notice a lot of different things. Uh, you would notice some things that would be similar to what we do here in worship on Sunday mornings. You would recognize 
prayer. You would recognize, even if you didn't speak Arabic, those, the, the time of the sermon when the imam will, gets up and, and uh, teaches and offers some sort of instruction. But of course, there would be lots of things that would be different to you as you experience that. Everybody would be dressed differently. Everybody would speak a different language, most likely. One thing that would probably strike you is that it would be only men in the congregation. Um, you would um, uh, notice, that, of course, the different languages, the different sights, the different sounds. But there's one major thing that would be different if you paid attention closely. One major thing that would be missing from that experience that we do here. There would be no singing. No singing. Uh, Muslims have somewhat of an uneasy relationship with music generally, but when it comes to the worship of Allah, singing is not part of the equation. Uh, Allah can be obeyed, he can receive prayers, he can accept devotion, but, he, but singing to him is off limits. By contrast, Christians sing a lot, don't we? We sing a lot. Roughly half of our service on Sunday mornings is devoted to singing, half of it. And the largest book of the Bible, the Psalms, right in the middle of it, is devoted entirely to singing. It's a songbook, an inspired songbook in the middle of our Bible. And the Christian church has a long history of music and singing. Uh, the earliest existing evidence of a Christian hymn, that is, uh, words that we have written together with music, uh, comes from the late third uh, century. It's called the Oxyrhynchus Hymn, in case you're curious. Not the, not the catchiest title that uh, you've probably heard, ever heard. Uh, Ambrose of Milan, who died in the year 397, was, uh, is said to have been the father of modern Christian hymnody. He uh, wrote uh, many hymns, some of which we still sing today. Some of the first church hymnals were produ produced in the 4th century when St. Patrick uh, wrote a famous hymn that is still sung today as well. Uh, we have the Gregorian chants of the 9th and 10th century. We have uh, Luther's mighty fortress from the 16th century. Isaac Watts in the 17th. Chris Tomlin and the Gettys today. There is a long history of people writing and singing to the Lord. And it all began right here on the shores of the Red Sea. This is the first song that we see recorded in Scripture. And it was likely written by Moses and, of course, sung by the people of Israel as the most powerful army on earth had just been destroyed right in front of their eyes with clothing and bits and pieces of chariot washing up on the shore in front of them. And the first thing that they do after experiencing that victory is not breathe a sigh of relief. Moses doesn't preach a sermon they don't pack up and leave. The first thing that they do when they experience that is they sing a song. And this morning what I want us to do is I want us to think about the role of singing in our spiritual lives. Uh, God commands us to sing to him, but why does he do that? Why should we sing to the Lord? I want us to see three reasons why we should be eager to sing to the Lord. My hope is that the Lord would use these words today to, to transform us into a people who love to sing. Not just a people who love music, not just a people who love beautiful music, but a people who love to sing to the Lord. So let's see the three reasons that 
why we should sing to the Lord. First, we should sing because God is our God. God is our God. This song is divided into three main stanzas. Verse 1 is sort of a thematic introduction, but then the stanzas begin in in verse 2 and verse 6 and verse 11. And each one follows a similar pattern. Uh, They begin with this declaration of who God is, sort of a, a general praise of his character, and then it details what he's done in defeating uh, the Egyptians for them. So you can see that in the first one, just for, as an example. Uh, in verses 2 and 3, they sing about God's character in general. And then in verses 4 and 5, they sing about what he's done. Pharaoh's chariots and his hosts he's cast into the sea and so forth. And this song says a lot about who God is. He's powerful, majestic, glorious, great, holy, awesome, a man of war, which should, also, which should be the first clue as to what should occupy most of what we sing in church. Our songs ought to be a, a, a praise of God's character in his works. Uh, today, many people think about music as kind of a self-expression, something that sort of lets out something that's inside of us. And while that's not entirely untrue, Christian worship itself is not a self-expression. It's not an expression of, uh, first and foremost, how we feel about God, but it ought to be an expression of who God is and how he's, who, who he has revealed himself to be in his word. But one of the most striking things that this song declares about God is in the second half of verse 2. Look there with me if you have your Bible with you. They sing, this is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God and I will exalt him. Moses and the people on the shores of the Red Sea, they praise God because they say that he belongs to them. And they belong to him. Not only does God exhibit all these great qualities that I just mentioned, he is also so near that he can be claimed by these people as belonging to them. Think about it this way. It's, it's, one, way, it's one thing for God to be holy quite another thing for you to be able to say, that holy God is mine. It's quite another thing for God to be powerful. But it's quite another to, to claim that God is going to use that power to benefit you. It's quite another, it's it's one thing to say that God is glorious, but it's quite another for him to say that he is going to share that glory with you because you belong to him and he belongs to you. That small word, my, makes a world of difference. If you've ever looked for an apartment or a house online, you know how this feels. You can uh, search and you can see the, the houses and the apartments in every price range, right? You can go up to 25 million pesos a month and you can see and you can say, boy, that house, is, that apartment is beautiful. Look how spacious it is. Look how beautifully designed it is. It's so new. And, but as long as is that, but, but if you cannot use the word my, in front of that apartment or that house, all of those benefits are far away from you. They're just pictures on a screen. But think about the moment when you can say, that house is mine. That apartment is mine. Whenever we use that word my, whatever it is that we're talking about becomes nearer to us. It becomes closer to us. It becomes accessible to us in a way that all the most beautiful and glorious things in the world can't. And it wouldn't be too much of a stretch to say that the word my 
is really the difference between a Christian and someone who merely just believes in God. You see, you can believe in God and you can believe He's powerful, you can believe He created everything, you can believe that uh, maybe that He even made you. But until you can say that that God is mine, He loves me, He sent His Son to die for me, He belongs to me, and I belong to Him, you haven't understood what it means to be a Christian yet. The Heidelberg Catechism, which is an early document from the Reformation, which we use here at UCB to evaluate our elder candidates, puts this truth beautifully. In the first question of the Catechism, it asks this. It says, what is your only comfort in life and in death? What's the only thing that can bring you comfort as you face everything in your life and even the prospect of death? What's the only thing that can bring you comfort? It's this, that I am not my own but belong in body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. What brings you comfort? That my life doesn't belong to me, but it belongs to Jesus. And I belong to Jesus, and Jesus belongs to me. In the words that we often sing in our church, and as he stands in victory, Sin's curse has lost its grip on me, for I am his, and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. Can you sing those words? We sing because we belong to God, because God is our God. The second thing, second reason we sing, we sing because God has defeated all of our enemies. God's defeated all of our enemies. Uh, the main theme of this song, as we read, you certainly heard, is that God has defeated the enemies of his people. Look at verse 1. He says, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. Why are they going to sing? Because of God's triumph. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The triumph of God over the enemies of Israel is what initially provokes this song. And that is the objective acts of God in history or what they want to sing about, about what God has done out there for them. Not just who God is, but how, uh, what He has done for them. And the great benefit that music brings us, that just reading the description of this event in the previous chapter that uh, Pastor Baxley preached for us last week, the benefit that this brings to us is that it is so vivid, isn't it? It brings us so many images to our mind that the mere description of, and then they did this, and then they did this, and then they did this, doesn't do. Uh, here's a few of them. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your fury consumes them like stubble. You can picture that, right? Fire going through and burning up the stubble. The floods stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. <clears throat> Music has a way of firing our imagination in the way that, that prose doesn't. It touches a different part of our soul, doesn't it, when we sing, and it, and it sticks there in a way that just, uh, that, that just prose doesn't. If you've ever gotten a song stuck in your head, you know how this works, right? I can still remember the advertising jingles from when I was eight years old. And I have a hard time remembering my phone number today. That's how powerful music can be to stick in our minds, to stick God's truth down into our souls. And I believe that's, God, but that's why God wants us to sing about His victory 
over our enemies. Often our enemies seem alive, they seem powerful, they seem very close to us at all times. Temptation seems irresistible. Guilt and shame, they weigh heavy on our shoulders. Uh, Those opposed to us seem stronger than those who are with us and who are on our side. And when the heaviness of suffering and and evil weighs down and heavy upon us, often the last thing we want to do is sing. You see other people, we see singing seems happy and I'm not happy. I don't want to sing. In fact, it can feel sometimes dishonest to sing some of these words and feel like God's, God's triumphed over my enemies. It sure doesn't feel like that in my life. But God has designed the act of singing to press the truth that he has triumphed over your enemies deep down into your soul, that he has defeated your foes, that he has crushed everything that is opposed to you, the spirits and demons and sins and punishment and Satan, all of it, he has crushed and defeated and you have nothing to fear. In 1530, uh, the reformer Martin Luther, he wrote a letter to a friend of his named uh, Jerome Weller. Jerome had once lived in the Luther home, and uh, he had actually been uh, a tutor for some of the Luther kids. Uh, But now he was at the end of his spiritual rope. He was suffering tremendously. He was experiencing all kinds of terrible temptation that he recognized was the devil working in his life and trying to tempt him to sin. And Luther wrote him a letter, and he said this. He said, try as hard as you can to despise the thoughts which are induced by the devil. In this sort of temptation and struggle, contempt is the easiest method of winning over the devil. Laugh your your adversary to scorn and ask who it is that you are talking to. The devil is conquered by mocking, and despising him, not by resisting or arguing with him. What's Luther saying? He's saying that, yeah, you can come up with an argument in your head, sort of a syllogism, this is true, and then this is true, and then this is true, but that's not the, that's not the best way to combat the devil and the temptation. The best way to do it is to make fun of him, is to laugh at him, is to mock him. And what better way to mock the devil than to sing about how God has beaten him. Right? What better way than to all get together into the same room and, and, and laugh at him because to say, look, Christ has beaten you. You've got nothing, you've got nothing on me. You can't tempt me. That's what he says will push back the devil. And it's not surprising that just the year before, Luther has written these words that we sing here in this room. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. Can you sing those words today? So we sing to God because he is our God. We sing to God because he has conquered and defeated all of our enemies. And finally, we sing to God because of what he has promised to continue to do in the future. Look at the final stanza of this song with me. Starting in verse 14, the perspective of the song changes. It changes from focusing on the Egyptians 
and focuses on the nations that Israel is going to encounter as they make their way from Egypt up into the promised land. Listen to the words that they sing. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. The chiefs of Edom are dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. What are they talking about? They're talking about people that they haven't even encountered yet. They're talking about enemies that that they will face one day, but that they still haven't faced right now. But but they speak about them in a way that that they realize that they as if they were already conquered. They're saying they're already trembling, they're already melting away, even though we haven't even been there yet. How are they doing that? They're doing that because they could look at at what God had done at the Red Sea. And they're saying, because, because God has done this, he won't be able to be stopped as we make our way into the promised land. His victory at the Red Sea guarantees that when we face anything else in the future, God is going to win. And so as they sing, they are reminding themselves, they're reminding their entire community, everybody around them, we've got a journey ahead of us. We have enemies yet still to face, but we can face them in confidence. Because God has defeated our enemies already. What are the enemies that are lurking in your future? What do you worry about? What keeps you up at night as you think about what faces you tomorrow? Is it where your job is going to send you next? Is it whether you'll get married or not? Whether your kids will stay, become Christians and stay Christians throughout their entire life? Is it whether you will remain faithful to the Lord until he brings you to be with him? They're different for all of us, but we all have fears that await us in the days to come. And singing is one of the great antidotes that God has given to us to combat fear. Songs that remind us that the gift of the father of the, the gift of his son means that there is nothing that we will ever face that he that will separate us from the love of God. Nothing. In fact, in the book of Revelation, when John sees a vision of heaven, he sees all these people standing on a sea of glass, and he hears them singing. What does he hear them singing? He says, "And they sing the song of Moses." the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. This is a song that we'll sing in heaven together with all the people that were standing at the Red Sea who trusted in the Lord. And so now we can sing. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. Can you sing those words today? So let me close with just two words of brief application. First, sing, even if you don't love the music. Every so often I hear Christians say things like, I can't worship in that church, or I don't connect with God with with that type of music. And what they mean is that they, they don't really like the music. And I want you to notice that we have no idea what this song sounded like. We don't know if they used musical instruments. In fact, they probably didn't. They were just running through the Red Sea. 
No idea what the tune was or what style it was in. It was probably something very unfamiliar to us. But the content of the song is what God has preserved for us. So the content of the song is is what ought to fire our worship. Now, I love our musicians. <laughs> I love the style of music that we have here at UCB, but, but it may not always be that way. Uh, or you may move to some other place where you have to find a church and you find a church where the music isn't as excellent or isn't, as, isn't, doesn't, uh, doesn't, isn't something that you prefer. But the quality of the music is not what should inspire our worship. It's the character of God, the great and mighty acts of God. Let them stoke the fire of your worship and sing, even if you aren't always crazy about the music. Finally, sing, even if you don't love to sing. Uh, I had one young man in a previous church tell me, I come to church for the teaching. In the music, I can kind of take or leave. And so he would show up after the singing so that he could hear the sermon. He was very consistent in that way. And maybe you're not that extreme, but maybe you're not crazy about singing in church. Maybe you're like, I'm not really a singer. Maybe you don't have a great voice, and you think, you know, I, singing's just not my thing. Or you hear someone else singing loudly, and you think, that's kind of weird. If that's you, then consider this to be an invitation to sing to God, because he belongs to you. Sing, because he has defeated all of your enemies. Sing, because he has guaranteed your future. Sing because the people sitting next to you and your kids and your spouse and everybody in this room needs to hear you proclaim these truths as your own just as you need to hear them proclaim them as their own. So make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth, and come into his presence with singing. Let's pray. Almighty God, you're great, powerful, holy, and good, but most of all, you are our God, And that truth brings joy to our souls and makes us want to sing. And so we thank you for the gift of music. We thank you for the opportunity that gives us to proclaim your worth and enjoy your presence. Father, make us a singing people. Tune our hearts to sing thy praise. Ignite the gratitude and joy in our hearts that is the source of all true worship. And compel us to sing that we might be more firmly established in your truth, that our community would be strengthened, and that the next generation would learn of your awesome deeds, that the world would know that we are yours and you are ours, bought with the precious blood of Christ. Amen. I invite you to please stand. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to support the ministry of UCB, please visit our website at ucbogota.org.